0: If Reality Check Radio enriches your day and life, support us to keep bringing you the content, voices, perspectives, and dose of reality you won't get anywhere else. Visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate. Up next is Pete's Ponderings on RCR. Reality Check Radio. Pete's Ponderings is a selection of Pete's candid commentary on everyday issues for Kiwis, taken from his show, Afternoons. Listen to the live broadcast of Peter Williams' afternoon show at 1pm Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio.
1: Has there ever been a more coordinated media attack on a new government in our entire history. You know, it's as if the mainstream media, with one or two very honourable exceptions, has just kept up a non-stop barrage of stories, pushing back against government policy, policy that was, after all, campaigned on, voted for by a majority of the population on the 14th of October, and then agreed between the coalition partners. But in the eyes of the political left, this is not democracy. This is called the tyranny of the majority, or a new word which has crept into the lexicon invented by the left. That word is majoritarianism. As Winston Churchill said in 1947, though, democracy is the worst form of government except for all those other forms that have been tried from time to time. But this non-stop attack from the self-admitted lefties in the media. And remember the survey back in April of this year which showed that 65% of New Zealand's news media journalists said they leaned politically left. This non-stop attack has just continued day after day. And it's hit an absolute nadir this week, an absolute bottom this week, with more faux outrage over people due to turn 100 years old. They will not receive their congratulatory letters from the dignitaries like the Prime Minister and the king because of a delay in designing the letters after the change of government. The article uh, makes it look like it's government ministers who are holding up the process because ministers have to decide on the design and content of the letters. Really? Surely the public servants could be a bit proactive here, couldn't they? Can't they change the signature? Isn't the letter essentially going to be the same as for the last government, but with a different signature? I mean, was there a a similar hold-up when Chris Hipkins took over from Jacinda Ardern? Now, this is not exactly a big deal, and surely Chris Luxon and Casey Costello, as the new Seniors Minister, would surely be very happy to quickly sign off on such letters. But no, uh, let's make it look like the new government are a pack of Grinches in the lead-up to Christmas and in the lead-up to some significant milestones for a small number of people, those who turn 100 then there is the matter of the FPAs, the Fair Pay Agreements. We finally found out via a column written by Roger Partridge of the New Zealand Initiative that both Treasury and MB advised the then Labor government against FPAs four years ago, saying there was no evidence they increased productivity and that they were actually contrary to international labour regulations. But you never heard any of that in the reportage of the FPA legislation being repealed. Nope. The only narrative came from the union saying how terrible the repeal was going to be for workers, although, of course, not one FPA was ever concluded. And the outrage against the repeal of the tobacco prohibition bill continues apace This was legislation, remember, not due to come into effect until next year anyway, and it is based purely on an ideology that banning something means that people won't use it and won't try to access it. I mean, that worked so well with alcohol in the US 100 years ago, didn't it? And it works really well with cannabis today, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, reporting around the appeal of this legislation makes much of modelling and how it would save Countless lives and billions of dollars, you know. Anybody born after 2008 would never, ever be able to buy tobacco. Modelling. Ah, modelling. Need one say any more? That the percentage of the population who are smokers has dropped from nearly 30% at the turn of the century to just 8% now suggests that education about tobacco's harm, high taxes... And smoking's social uncoolness is working That, you see, is real evidence Modelling is merely predictive And precedents for other vices suggest What was planned and what was legislated for Would never have worked But you never get any sort of analysis of these matters from the media All they have in their narrative Is the pushback against the idea So why not some deep thinking about the issue from the other side? Hell no. We can't have the government being seen in a
0: possibly good light, can we? Thanks for tuning in to RCR, Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, or even better, if you don't agree with what you're listening to, then get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057, that's 2057. Or if you'd rather email us, you can at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you, so get in touch with us now.
1: Write some correspondence which has been received... Uh, via inbox at realitycheck.radio or via text at 2057. This is from Jerry. Hi, Peter. Thanks for your common sense comments. Read the data dump and it's uh, amateur presentation. I just pray Ms. Gunn and her sense of self importance has not thrown Barry, as in Barry Young, under the bus and ruined any progress into the truth being pursued uh, by the coalition government. Always great shows from you. Thank you, Jerry. And then uh, this has come in from Jill. I listened to your talk, Re, Excess Deaths. Uh, the Ministry of Health is saying there are no excess deaths. The reason is trickery of data. It is a statistical scam. Professor Norman Fenton explained this on the 16th of May with uh, Paul Brennan. You have to use the stable period five years prior, adjusting for population growth 2015 to 2019. Therefore, during the COVID VAX rollout, there has been a significant death increase over 30%. Uh, The Health Department has included 2021 and 2022 in their figures, which have had the excess deaths, so that when they look at 2023, they say there are none because all those years had excess deaths. It depends on what years you take and what you adjust for and which years you choose for your baseline years. Hope this makes sense. It sort of does, Jill. Thank you for that. And then on the matter of uh, the interview we had with Chris Newman last week... Uh, Peter, yes, the Māori Party is a joke. Cowboy hat and pink jacket, really? Time for the Māori seats to be abolished. It is racist by definition. They were designed for a time when voting required land ownership. If we are one people, then one electoral roll and no special seats for one race. And then also on that, uh, for clarification on the fraud between the Freeman draft of the Treaty of Waitangi have a chat with Julian Batchelor. The difference between uh, Littlewood's version, or James Busby's uh, version, which is these days called, I think, uh, the Littlewood version of the treaty, uh, and the rogue Freeman version is the core of Julian's information that I, uh, I understand was the basis of his talks, uh, the no-co-governance talks that he gave before the election election. And then this from Dave, and he opens a few cans of worms. Enjoyed your show today. Pleasing to hear an intelligent debate on this mess known as the Treaty. Uh, You stated Māori was in New Zealand in the 1300s. Polynesian Māori, true. But when we are talking of human habitation of New Zealand, this is only one chapter in the long history of New Zealand. Many races were living basically in peace before the warring fractions from the north arrived. And he then quotes a couple of books, one by John Dudley Aldworth and one by Martin Dutre. Uh, They're respectively called Forbidden History and the other one, The Littlewood Treaty. Uh, There is much more to the story than just what happened after Abel Tasman and James Cook, a story that should be told and appreciated by all New Zealanders, Maori and the British, are but a small part of our recent history human habitation dates back 2,000-plus years, maybe even more in New Zealand. Well, Dave, that is a very big call to make. A lot of anthropologists and archaeologists say that is not true. But the discussion, I'm sure, will always continue. Thank you for your correspondence. Inbox at realitycheck.radio, or you can reach me, via text at
0: uh, 2057. Want an easier way to listen to RCR? Well, you can now download the brand new Reality Check Radio app, both on iOS and Android. We've completed our beta testing and the app is now live. You can visit the app stores direct or find out all you need to know at www.realitycheck.radio forward slash app. That's at realitycheck.radio forward slash app. Our test bunnies have been hard at play to ensure you have access to everything from listening to our live broadcast, downloading some of our incredible interviews and checking out the latest blogs all from the very same app. So get listening and download the RCR app now. Now
1: here's the first thing that came to mind earlier this week about the news that protesters had been abseiling inside Te Papa and defaced the Treaty of Waitangi exhibit. How the hell can you walk into a place like Te Papa home to millions of dollars worth of valuable exhibits with abseiling equipment and start climbing down a wall? Have Te Papa management not heard of a thing called security? And even if there were no security guards on the door, as there should be, then what about the people at reception? Did no one have the presence of mind to ask what was going on as people walked in with abseiling equipment? not to mention their protest signs. I mean, it's almost like the staff at Te Papa condone this protest. And then once the protest was underway, how long did it take for staff to call police and how long for police to get there? You get the feeling feeling rather that frankly there was not much urgency in the response to this protest. The boss of Museums Aotearoa, Adele Fitzpatrick says she doesn't favour increased spending on security at the country's museums and art galleries. It all seems, frankly, a pretty laissez-faire attitude, one that she may well come to regret as Māori activism becomes more prevalent. At least, though, she has the good grace to acknowledge that the exhibit which was vandalised is important. As Ms Fitzpatrick says, quote, it's a mistake to ignore parts of our history because we don't like it now or because it's painful now. Unquote. But you know, the protesters' claims the other day are utterly illogical. They say that just the Tereo version, Te Tiriti o Waitangi, is the only legal document and that the treaty, as displayed at Te Papa, is not a translation of Te Tiriti. But hang on, how could that be? In February of 1840, James Busby and William Hobson did not write a treaty in Te They wrote it in English. It was then translated by the missionaries, Henry Williams and his son Edward. Hobson, as the Queen's representative, signed both the English and Te versions. The Maori chiefs, though, signed only the Te version. Hobson made a mistake in signing something he did not completely understand, that is the Te version. But the point is... There were two versions of the document in 1840, and one surely has as much validity as the other. Uh, Just what is the original English version of the treaty, though, remains debatable. As we talked about here last week, a piece of paper with an 1833 watermark was discovered in Auckland in 1989. It may or may not be the version that Busby wrote for Hobson to sign and for the Williamses to translate. Many questions remain about copies of the treaty written in freehand by Hobson's secretary James Freeman. Uh, there is one school of thought that Freeman's copies have emerged as the so-called original English treaty when they were not. But either way, the claims of these protesters uh, the other day are just irrational. The problem with the treaty or tateriti te has always been the translation. Uh, the Waitangi Tribunal even went so far as to get a distinguished uh, Maori scholar of the time, Sir Hugh Kafaru, to translate uh, Te Tiriti in 1986. He translated the preamble to say, quote, Chiefs will agree to the Queen's government being established over all parts of this land. That's in the preamble. And then in Article 1, quote, The chiefs give absolutely to the Queen of England forever the complete government over their land, unquote. If that's not clear enough, listen to the words of Tamati Waka Nene, a signatory at Waitangi in 1840, speaking at the Kohimarama Conference in 1860 on the treaty. Quote, Therefore, my friends, do I say, let this governor be our governor and this queen our queen. Let us accept this governor as a governor for the whole of us. Let me tell you, ye assembled tribes... I have but one governor. Let this governor be a king to us. Listen again, ye people. When the governor came here, he brought with him the word of God by which we live. And it is through the teaching of that word that we are able to meet together this day under one roof. Therefore, I say, I know no sovereign but the queen, and I never shall know any other. I am walking by the side of the Pakeha. Unquote. "Tamati Waka Nene, a chief who signed the Treaty of Waitangi Te Tiriti in 1840 speaking at Kohimarama 20 years later. You see the problem for revisionist historians at the Waitangi Tribunal and at universities is that there is ample evidence in the country's archives to prove that Maori chiefs knew very well what they were signing in 1840 and what they confirmed 20 years later." And they did cede government of the country to the Queen of England. There has been a long march through the educational institutions of this country for at least a quarter of a century on matters pertaining to the Treaty of Waitangi. And that's why the protests the other day seemed to garner a certain level of public sympathy. One wonders, actually, if that trend can ever be reversed. It needs to, though, Otherwise, a 50-year-old grievance industry will never end. And the ab sailors will come calling at Te Papa once again. RCR is on a mission to revive Honest Media, and now you too can be an integral part of it by joining the RCR Foundation Members Club. Receive exclusive benefits only available to club members, including your own backstage pass to join the hosts for interactive behind-the-scenes discussions along with our all-new daily curated news summary, RCR Bytes, that's delivered to your email box every morning, keeping you on the pulse of the news that matters in just a few minutes per day. To find out more, visit realitycheck.radio members to see how you can join the mission that's making
0: a difference.
1: The commenter named Andrew responded to a recent post about the Barry Young data release. He had questions about the country's crude data on deaths in 2022 and more importantly, the death rate. Now, as has been pointed out previously, our overall death rate per thousand of population for the calendar year in 2022 last year was the highest this century. To remind you, the crude death rate last year was 7.53 deaths per thousand people of the estimated mid-year population, and that's the first time that number has been over seven since 2002. In the 12 months to the end of September this year, that rate had dropped a little to 7.23. But Andrew, our commenter, while well, not disputing that ratio, nor the total number of deaths last year, 38,574 are the highest in our history, he suggests that I look at what are known as the standardised and age-specific death rates to get a more realistic take on what happened last year. Now, the standardized death rate is the weighted average of the age-specific death rates of a population, uh, the weights being the age distribution of that population. Yes, I know it's complicated. It's, uh, it's, it's a statistical construct designed to compare mortality rates in various countries where the age distributions are different. It's the crude mortality numbers and death rates which provide the comparison from year to year in New Zealand and they're regarded as the best reflection of the health of the population overall. On that basis, the overall number says we are dying at a much higher rate than just two years ago. But the statistics from InfoShare, the StatsNZ uh, database, uh, allow us to look at age-specific death rates too. And this is where a somewhat different theme emerges. So let's compare 2019, the last normal year before the COVID era, with 2022. The crude death rate in 2019 was 6.87. So 2022 last year was 10% higher than what you would call a normal year. Uh, By the way, from 2009 through to 2019, that uh, 10, 11 year period, the crude death rate in New Zealand hovered between 6.53 and 6.92. So that's why this 2022 number of 7.53 is such an outlier. InfoShare, though, breaks down the age groups into five-year periods from zero to 90+. Looking at the age brackets from 15 to 19 through until 50 to 54, the death rate in 2022 was actually lower than in 2019 in six of those eight age groups. The death rate, the higher death rate in 2022, only started to kick in regularly at the 55 to 59 level. Mostly the differences in the death rate are small, except in the 90 plus age group, where the rates are 215 per thousand of population in 2019 and 234 in 2022 which puts rather a different complexion on things, does it not? Yes, there was a massive spike in both the number of deaths and in the death rate, but these numbers suggest it was just the older groups, the older age groups dying at a faster rate, while 2022s, under 55s, are actually a healthier lot than four years ago. The crude numbers, there's a lot of numbers here, I'm sorry about this, the crude numbers for deaths in those aged 70 or over show that 3,798 more people died in 2022 than in 2019. Considering the difference between the respective totals in those years was 4,317 and 87% of those were aged 70 or more, there is a now somewhat different complexion on last year's death explosion. The reality is the vast majority of those who died last year, as in most years, were in the older age brackets. There is nothing untoward at all about death rates in those aged under 55. In fact, the data analyst David Hood claims the death rates in every age group since vaccinations began are lower than before COVID. Having come to this conclusion, though, there is still one pressing question in my mind. Health authorities, politicians and the pro-injection media types are all happy to report that four deaths have most likely occurred as the result of an mRNA injection. Doesn't that number say that this injection is potentially dangerous? Isn't one death alone enough cause to withdraw a medicine from the market? You see, many is the potion withdrawn for far less serious side effects to a tiny cohort of the population. Uh, The latest, you might have heard of this, Folcodine, Folcodeine, Sold under the trade names Diflam and Duratrus, a cough medicine. It'll be withdrawn from the end of next month because of the, quote, small risk that taking Folcodine may make patients more susceptible to anaphylaxis, that rare but life-threatening allergic reaction, during surgery. Unquote. So a small risk during surgery is enough to have a popular cough medicine withdrawn from the market. But four deaths from the mRNA injection, essentially acknowledged by authorities, is still not enough for this medicine to be withdrawn. Now, the death numbers for 2022 could possibly be explained as the deaths of older people being delayed for a time. But any death from a medicine is one death too many. And that medicine should be withdrawn immediately. This has been Peter Williams on Reality Check Radio. Thank you so much for your company. I look forward to talking with you again.
0: You've been listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Remember, you can catch Pete's full show combining smooth sounds and candid commentary on everyday issues for Kiwis in the Peter Williams Afternoon Show on our live broadcasts 1pm Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays right here on RCR Reality Check Radio Thank you for tuning in to RCR Reality Check Radio If you like what you're listening to or dislike what you're listening to Either way, we want to hear from you. Get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057, that's 2057, or email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you, so connect with us today. With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom. Simply visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate to make a difference today.